Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Harris. We are going to talk about a number of things, to, a number of things to get to. We're going to go fast, but I'm going to give you the information you need. And I know many of you, you're working, you don't have time to read some of these articles, and so I'm going to give you what you need to know about social justice infiltration into evangelical organizations, denominations, etc. We're going to talk SBC, we're going to talk uh, Grove City College, and a few other things. So let's start with Grove City. Grove City College is not a particularly prominent or large school. It's why should we care, right? That's something I've addressed before on this podcast. And the reason is because there have been efforts made at Grove City that seem to have made, have produced results um, far more than efforts made at other schools. And I use Southeastern usually as an example. Southeastern, there's been a lot of exposure of what's happened at Southeastern. There's been a lot of uh, pressure applied within the SBC. At least the conservatives who have some influence have tried to apply pressure on Southeastern. There is no making Southeastern budge. They can go underground with their social justice teaching. They can minimize it. They can deny it. But you're not going to get the board to do anything at uh, Southeastern, right? And we've seen this this show play out at other institutions. Grove City is different because I think Grove City is more independent. It's smaller and um, you still have a board that's more conservative. And so it's there's more of an opportunity to create some movement there. And then from that momentum, go to other schools and do kind of the same thing, expose what they've uh, how they've allowed CRT or social justice teaching. And now Grove City College's reaction among the administration was so typical and so predictable for anyone who's been watching this stuff at other places that it shouldn't surprise anyone. But unfortunately, a lot of parents and a lot of students even don't seem to, they don't see it. And it's, I think that's muddying the waters, um, denying some of these charges, even though there's no real reason to just playing follow the leader. That's These are tactics that are generally used, whining and dining people who might have a problem, uh, marginalizing those you can't manipulate. I mean, a lot of this stuff was pulled out and I mean, it was, it was full, you know, PR mode. Now, uh, I've been following this story since I guess last fall and you had Josh Abatoy, American reformer. You had Megan Basham, the daily wire, both kind of being, I guess, larger voices or, or I don't know, leading the charge in some ways. There was a parent petition, but then from that came some media attention uh, in the conservative media, at least, to uh, do something about this. And I'm going to read this article without reinventing the wheel and giving you everything I've already said about Grove City. In fact, there's a montage uh, which you can find. I'll put the link in the info section. I'll try to remember to do that of some of the teachings in chapel that were out there. But it, was, it, it went so far beyond that, what was happening, what was allowed at Grove City. Now, um, we're downstream from this, and some of that context is going to be given uh, in this particular article from The Federalist by Josh Abatoy. Now, here's the article. Despite opposition from parents and board members, Grove City College doubles down on woke educators. Not a shock. Not a shock at all. In fact, I said the last time I think we talked about Grove City that, hey, we're going to have to see what actually happens. The board has made a decision. That doesn't mean it'll be carried out. And it doesn't sound like it really was. So here's what Josh Abatoy has to say. Few institutions of higher learning can match Grove City College's legacy of conservatism and independence. During the Reagan Revolution, the college famously sued the Department of Education over government overreach and walked away from federal funding to safeguard its self-determination. I think they did this. They don't have accept federal funding, and neither does Hillsdale. They might be the only two. Today, Grove City's official bulletin declares that the college unapologetically advocates preservation of America's religious, political, and economic heritage of individual freedom and responsibility. 
so it, he goes through some preliminary things. Now, he says this. The woke programming has made its way into chapel, the classroom, and the dorms at Grove City College. For months, concerned parents tried to sound the alarm. Uh, when those concerns fell on deaf ears, they banded together, launched an online petition, and spread the word on social media. After the administration stonewalled, current and former faculty issued a letter to the school's board of trustees asking them to intervene. In response, the board took the unprecedented step of establishing a committee to investigate CRT and mission grift. Its subsequent report is a sterling example of conviction and clarity. And we read this on the show. The board reaffirmed the college's conservative legacy and denounced CRT as incompatible with the college's mission. It further detailed exactly how CRT had made inroads, gave a clear instruction to President McNulty, Paul McNulty, on how to remediate matters. So conservatives cheered, and I was one of the ones that said, this is great. We'll see what happens, though. I always had that in there. I said, we'll see what happens. Four months after the board issued its report, the results are in, and they aren't pretty. In contrast to the board's unambiguous posture and clear directives, the college's administration appears less assured in Grove City College's identity and more concerned with not rocking the boat. And and I, I would say this was, the proof was in the pudding. From the beginning of this whole process, you could see President McNulty was circling the wagons. He was denying things that were obvious. He was either incompetent to lead or not the kind of person you want leading because he's not honest. And unfortunately, he got prominent people at Grove City, like Carl Truman, to help circle the wagons with him. And it's embarrassing, frankly. If If you're a Grover, this should be embarrassing. Uh, In contrast to the board's unambiguous posture, okay, I read that, Uh, but Grove City's President Paul McNulty expressed a conflicted view of the situation in recent reflections on the Grove City College, or the CRT controversy. He said, I worry that our polarization is extended to the point where I don't know how we come out of it. It seems to be much different than the past. Students come in seeing themselves as culture warriors. They see everything through that lens. Where McNulty lacks resolve, his provost Peter Frank lacks confidence. In a recent video, Frank stipulated that it is hard to explain what makes Grove City special, but it has something to do with how Grove City College balances the conflict between free enterprise and the common good. A remarkable admission from the chief academic officer of Freedoms College. In short, Grove City's constituency and its board want a bold countercultural institution, but key administrators appear hesitant. And that's exactly, this is what's happened at other places. Now, usually the board, especially in SBC circles where I'm the most familiar, the board is unfortunately picked by really the the party you know if you lack of a better term they are you're not going to get really a lot of accountability from the boards but parents certainly have a stake in this and it's you get the ring around the rosy you just cannot get straight answers you can't it, it's you you're you're just frustrated by the end of it there's no way to see to keep these institutions really accountable it seems Grove City has been a different story. Uh, same tactics might be employed here, but you actually have a board that did try to do something about it, and maybe they'll try in the future. It says, perhaps reservations among top administrators account for the dearth of personal change. Every single member of the cast of characters who brought CRT into the school will be returning. Don Opitz, Justin Jose, uh, Christopher Merrick. And actually, I remember his talk. He gave a CRT light chapel talk and disparaged Grove City on a student-run podcast. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and a faculty in the education department who approved and taught CRT-infused courses. Okay, so they're all coming back. No one was fired. No one, you know, uh, with pressure sought employment elsewhere. They're all coming back. Um, talks about a professor here, uh, let's see, that is retiring, but there's no who was responsible for defending CRT, but there's no evidence that his retirement is because he's being forced out or anything. 
Um, a competent administration, it says, should have realized the risk inherent in the professor's return. Okay. Uh, with nothing to lose, he could, because they're giving him, I guess, a, he, he has a year before he's retired, so now he has nothing to lose. And so this is the worst way to handle that. If you have someone who's against the mission of the school, according to the board, and now you're just giving them a year before they're retired to do whatever they want and say whatever they want and oppose the school's mission. They get a great job guys. You know, <laughs> there's another professor here um, who actually, I remember this professor um, from the montage. You go Cedric Lewis, you'll go in, into the, the link in the info section. You can watch clips from his talk on uh, CRT, but he uh, apparently did. He opposed the call the board um, and uh, at, at the college and he I, can't, I guess he's got some kind of a background where he wouldn't pass the smell test in a legal setting um wait hold on let me after the board released its report lewis took to twitter to tell a story stating the board exhibited disturbing bias in their interviews which were conducted by a committee including two sitting federal judges uh so he says sorry he said that they wouldn't pass the smell test in a legal setting even though they have two federal judges on their board and then he does these interviews with Religion News Service, Inside Higher Ed, the Young, the Young Turks. Can you get more communist? The Young Turks and Grove City alum. And, uh, oh, our Grove City alumni turned progressive activists in terror. So he goes to, basically what the article is saying is, this professor, Lewis, goes to these left-wing outlets, even secular left-wing outlets, and then he dumps on Grove City College. All right. And, and so, um, and he apparently has some background in law, that he was, Lewis uh, was disbarred in Florida for failing to cooperate with an investigation into whether he mishandled client funds, apparently. So I don't know what that's all about, but the story's in The Federalist if you're curious about more information. Now, what does Lewis get for all? You know, you'd think this guy's getting fired, right? This guy should at least be intimidated, right? That, like, or, or a little afraid, careful in what he says, careful because he's on thin ice. Nope. He does whatever he wants says whatever he wants, opposes the board, and for all this, he is promoted. He was promoted to assistant professor of entrepreneurship. So the administration promotes one of the most outspoken voices against the board. This is not going to bode well, and I don't know in what direction. I don't know if the administration wins this or if the board fires McNulty and some of these other folks. I don't know how that all would work, but this is, uh, this is pretty crazy to me. Uh, that the board uh, or the the board is so disrespected and the administration thinks they can just thumb their nose. It's not surprising in in the sense that um, it, it, this is the kind of thing that happens, but it's that you'd think they'd be a little more just secretive about it, a little more, I don't know, not as overt, but here we go. So, doesn't look like any significant action has really been taken. And uh, if anything, the needle is still being pushed to the left, even after the board uh, said what they did. Now, um, let's talk about the SBC a little bit. Let's see what, what well, let's talk about now. We'll, talk, we'll save that for last. We'll talk about um, the National Association of Evangelicals just put out a report on the impacts of climate change on poverty. Now, that's right. The, the National Association of Evangelicals supposed to be a more conservative uh, theological organization. Uh, the PCA just pulled out, probably for good reason, but they put out this, um, this statement, and 
it, it's just oh it just reads like a christianity today or a gospel coalition article at the association of evangelicals we believe that the good news of jesus encompasses all of life and empowers us to face the deepest challenges nae president walter kim said we wish to navigate the complexities of our times including climate change with biblical clarity and a deep love that reflects god's own heart for this world especially for those least able to enjoy its blessings so it's just accepted climate change is just the whole that narrative is just it's just accepted there's no uh skepticism about it or anything um and then they they have a number of quotes here from um dorothy borsay I, I think that's how you pronounce her name professor of biology at gordon college borsay said climate change can be confusing in the media but it is an issue that cannot be ignored we labored to present a clear well-supported document that can help christians leaders laypersons understand the science and how disruptions in the environment affect the poor and our role as stewards of god's creation and then they have Wow, the CEO of World Relief even got in here. Uh, we have firsthand experience, Miro Green says, working with people facing the devastating effects of climate change. That's right. They see it on the ground. They see the climate change and what it's doing. We have learned that if we want to be a catalyst for change that lasts, we have to address the root causes of poverty and not just offer temporary solutions. Climate change is one of the greatest injustices of our time. That's right. Because people living in vulnerable communities experience the devastation brought on by the way people living in wealthier countries live our lives. As Christians, our love for the least of these compels us to acknowledge how our actions have contributed to climate change. So, yet yeah, Christians bear the guilt. Christians are in trouble. We've done this. It's our affluence. Um, I would love to see which, you know, China versus United States. What country is polluting the world more? So is this, are we going to make an anti-Chinese? I, I doubt that's part of this document. Uh, the whole goal here is it is, um, it is West, Christians in the Western world, particularly the United States, who are uh, guilty for you know this this horrible thing, and uh, and so th that statement has come out, um, and uh, we may I I'm thinking about doing a deeper dive here, downloading the full report. Um, well, it looks like I, there's a paywall there, um, but going through this piece by piece. If that's something that you're interested in, put the your thoughts in the info section, and we'll go down the climate change, uh, global warming path here and we'll talk about this um there's even uh in this particular document advice for christians on what they ought to be investing in as far as their financial investments and things like that so it affects every area of your life really if you're responsible for the you know your, your driving habits and your investment habits and all the other things you do that contribute to supposedly climate change it's it, this could really change the way that you live. And so I think it is important. And uh, that's I just want to let re really more report on this than examine it. But that's what's happening at the no National Association of Evangelicals. Amazing. Uh, we have uh, Christianity Today. This has been on my list for a little while. But uh, August 22nd, they put out an article. Don't run for school board. Education is important. But the answer lies in family discipleship, not culture wars. I think everyone's going to be nauseated if we actually read the article. So let's just analyze the premise here that's in the title. That's a false dichotomy. You can do both things. You can actually do family discipleship and fight a culture war at the same time. The two aren't mutually exclusive. You can run for school board and disciple your family, right? This is insane that this kind of stuff actually works on some Christians, that this is in Christianity today, that this logic is worth you know, putting out there. Uh, the culture war instinct, it says, is to respond to uh, this uh, passage. They read a passage here um, 
from uh, C.S. Uh, Lewis' 1946 book called How, How Heathen is Britain. And um, he answered, and in no small part because of the content of and the case for Christianity are not put before most schoolboys under the present system, as accounting for why it's heathen. And Lewis did not go on to re- recommend a political agenda, though. And so um, because he didn't go on to recommend a political agenda, it says that the culture war instinct is to respond to Lewis with a new battle plan. So the school boards aren't enough. We need to control the school administration, too. Then we can put a Christian teacher in a Christian curriculum in every public classroom in America. Then finally, we'll turn all this around. Hey, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, it's <laughs> now, look, I, I think it, why not just uh, eliminate well, the federally funded public schools? Like, why is that even that's not constitutional? Why, why do we have it? But hey, if you we're going to this is the, the whole allergy that some evangelicals have to, to power. They, they want to ingratiate themselves to power, but they don't want to be at the head for some reason. They don't know what to do with that. Uh, but besides being politically impossible, constitutionally impermissible and oblivious to the fact that many public school teachers and board members are Christians, this is only an escalated version of the same fundamental mistake, a larger uh, iteration of the futility of many schemes for education that Lewis describes. So if many school board members are already Christians, then why not add some more? Wouldn't that be good salt and light? This is insane, Christianity today. This is insane. Okay, let's take the wind out of the sails of people who actually want to do something to change what's happening out there. Christianity today is, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say. This is garbage that this this journal would even publish this kind of thing. Uh, Christians shouldn't kill Christians even on, oh, I put this up there because I, I just happened to go to the Christianity website and I was like, oh, there's an anti-death penalty article and, we could probably spend all day on the Christian uh, Christianity Today website, and we're not going to do that. Um, so uh, <laughs> this is, oh, man. Evangelical report, creation care is an act of worship and hospitality. So this is Christianity Today's uh, covering of the, what I just read you from the National Association of Evangelicals. All right, let's uh, talk about uh, some other things here. Um, let's... I'm going to end with SBC stuff. Uh, I'm just going to, two things that I've wanted to, to mention that aren't really related to the rest of this podcast, but I just wanted to convey it to you. Uh, U.S. life expectancy down three years and two years, according to Brownstone Institute. Now, you're going to have to go check this out. I probably can't put the link in the info section. What you probably initially are thinking is, most of you, the article suggests is not correct. It might not be the thing you're considering would be the to attribute this to it's the reaction to it it's the reaction to the thing that you're probably considering Uh, the ailment that may have brought about this state of affairs may not be the thing that actually is bringing about this state of affairs it's the reaction to that ailment and i'm going to leave it there um check it out and then uh, i just want to let you know about this Uh, it's it's in ireland but we had i had um, interviewed enoch burke a while ago on a, a book he wrote about Christian hedonism. And this is in Ireland local news. A secondary school has sec- secured a temporary high court injunction preventing a teacher who opposes addressing a student with the pronoun they from attending its premises or from teaching. This is going to be coming to the United States. I don't know any other way around it with the logic that we've employed here. Uh, Enoch Burke is, you know, basically he's barred from doing his job. Um, it, it's just, and, and this is happening in Ireland. I mean, Christians are being shut out of certain industries. That's basically what's happening. 
All right, SBC related stuff. Uh, so we're going to start. I just wanted to um, let you know, I'm, I have it on my phone, so I'm reading it, but uh, Jay Atkins from uh, the, we, we played a clip of his uh, recently on the Caring Well uh, type stuff, the Me Too type stuff. Anyhow, he's with uh, a, I would say, more progressively minded Baptist outlet, um, SBC Voices, and he posted this thing on Twitter on the 23rd about how the SBC 23 kickoff event was a resounding success. Close to 400 came out to participate, and he thanks their hosts, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and Bart Barber, and Daniel Dickard, and the SBC Executive Committee staff, and etc. So when you, when you do a... Um, an event like this, when you're preparing for a big event like the SBC and you get all these volunteers together and you do the training and you, these are people that some of them otherwise might not even be attending an SBC convention, but now, you know, they're working the convention. They have to come. You have 400 people here. These are just people to work the convention. And one of the things that someone, someone messaged me this and basically just, and it's someone, it's an SBC insider who basically said this, look, this is what the conservatives are up against. You have the other side with the levers at their disposal to put what volunteers they want to put in to these places. They have they have momentum and they have optimism and, and all of that because they are able to bring their team to the field. Whereas the other side, what, what's like, what does conservative Baptist network have that's comparable, Right. This is um, this is part of the the hump that would have to be overcome to take back the SBC, and it's just it's just one little little example of that that I want to show you because it's there's so many ways in which um, you can kind of bring your team to the field and make sure that it's being paid for by SBC cooperative program money. And that kind of thing. This is just one of those ways that that kind of thing can can happen. Uh, all right. So I want to end with this. Um, let's talk about Will McCraney. Will McCraney, uh, as some of you may know, is in a lawsuit right now with the North American Mission Board. And I'm going to end with this interview. So uh, this is the the final thing uh, for this podcast is interview with Will McCraney. I hope that uh, you enjoy it and it's helpful for those of you in the Southern Baptist Convention and hopefully you find some encouragement in it. We're talking about uh, the Southern Baptist Convention and uh, there's really two main things that I talk about when it comes to the SBC. One is the corruption and one is, and probably I've spent more time on this, but social justice infiltration. And um, I think personally that the the most, uh, the greatest opportunity to expose what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention, particularly the North American Mission Board, but we know that that each of these entities all they're they're intertwined with each other, uh, mm. is the case that Will McCraney has brought uh, against the North American Mission Board. Now we've talked about this before. We're going to talk about it uh, uh, some more today. And so uh, thank you, Will, for joining me mm. once again to give us an update on the progress in your case. Yeah, good to be with you, John. So uh, why don't we remind everyone first about what this is about, because um, you were fired from the Maryland-Delaware De Convention, essentially, and right. um, your lawsuit is alleging what? It uh, We have complaints in the area of defamation and in, in just basically what's called tortious interference or interference with employment. And so we believe that Kevin not only helped orchestrate my termination, but then he continued 
to uh, blackball me and to blacklist me after uh, that particular after even I was fired from the from uh, the Maryland convention. And so that's what the case is, is, is about those primarily uh, those two things. And Kevin Ezel, for those who don't know, uh, would be the president of the North American Mission Board. And of course, you, uh, after having left there, were um, uh, hurt in, in, or he tried to hurt you, at least by uh, ma- damaging your reputation, which is something that um, he could do of anyone else. Now, you were not um, actually technically uh, part. You, you were part of the Maryland Delaware, right? Which is a separate right. entity, or at least at that time it was separate, right? Correct. Right. Yeah. Whatever confusion is there for people, help us alleviate that. Okay. Um, all Baptist bodies are fully independent and autonomous, and so we worked in some joint efforts and similar efforts. I mean, North American Mission Board obviously worked in North America, which would include Maryland Delaware, right? But uh, we actually, the, the Maryland Delaware Convention was formed in 1836, and there was not even a Southern Baptist Convention until 1845, and NAM didn't exist till what, 1997 or something. So um, we were a fully autonomous, self-governing, self-supporting, self-propagating organization, um, disconnected from NAM. We don't have any responsibilities toward NAM in terms of reporting to them. They weren't involved in my hiring um, they couldn't set policies. They we didn't have joint um, um, trustees, any of those kinds of things. Joint finances, any of those kinds of things. So, a fully separate organization. And despite that, Kevin Ezel wasn't your boss. He was able to work the angles, get you fired, and and all the rest. And so that's part of the complaint here is that it's none of his business to put it that's in the right. vernacular. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we've talked about this before and we're downstream from it. And you're at the point now where it looks like depositions are, uh, how well have they already, have, what's happened? Where are you at as far as discovery? Yeah, we're, we're, we're in the discovery phase. The case had been on hold for quite a, I mean, we're, the case is over. The legal case is actually over five years old. And we're just now in the last little bit, last couple of months, moving through the discovery phase and so we've been exchanging documents. We've been exchanging questions that we've each got to swear to the answers to. And we've been subpoenaing um, certain types of evidence. Obviously, there's limitations on that. But uh, what's what will be happening in the next, maybe even later this month, I'm just not sure the exact dates, but we'll be moving into depositions. This is where a person uh, who's is put under oath and they take they take questions and uh, they have to swear to the answers, and, you know, obviously under threat of, of perjury. And so this is where the North American Mission Board and I will have to testify and others will have to testify. And so uh, this 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 gets real at this point. Okay. And so that might mean major Southern Baptist leaders going to court, taking the stand under oath, having to give testimony. Uh, so, I mean, what do you, I mean, the only other option for them, uh, if they want to avoid that is to settle with you. And it's been seven years since you've been uh, working at this. Uh, I mean, what is your, um, now maybe this isn't even a question you can answer, but what is your thought on what's possibly likely going to happen and, and what do you want to happen? What do you want to see? Well, I'd I'd love to see on a personal level, I'd like to see, I think, uh, some restitution made to to me. If on a personal level, I'd love to see there be reconciliation and restoration and just some repentance for what's been done. But the courts, once the North American Mission Board trustees didn't act, which they can still act, actually, Kevin Ezell and the attorneys actually represent the North American Mission Board, the North American trustees, and the trustees actually represent Southern Baptist. 
Um, and so I'd love to see uh, things get right at the North American Mission Board, but that's not my really my responsibility. But obviously, I've suffered with the blackballing and the blacklisting, and I've suffered financially and professionally. Um, and, the, and the sad thing about what what Kevin did is not only did he, did he do the things he did in in Maryland, Delaware, is that he followed me. <laughs> When I had a speaking engagement, for example, here in Florida, some of your listeners may know the name Jimmy Scroggins, pastors of a large church, which used to be First Baptist Church, uh, West Palm Beach. But Kevin called Jimmy, and we're alleging this, and I have evidence to, to prove it, um, called Jimmy and tried to get me off of a speaking engagement. I'm trying to provide for my family. I'm without work four years. I have two daughters that got married. That's always an interesting thing to have daughters get married. And he's still going after me. And uh, they post my picture at the North American Mission Board um, as if I've done something or some bad guy. And so I, I had uh, I've been a professor at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary in evangelism and church planting for 11 years. I worked for the Far Baptist Convention, master's doctorate. I've, I've done all these degrees and this work and consulted with and helped uh, Lifeway in the conferences and Lifeway Christian Resources and with the North American Mission Board doing research. And so. My life had been built around this. And so when when he chooses to continue, not only to get me terminated in Maryland, um, but he also then continues to go after me later, um, I'm left with little choice except to um, except to bring this matter to the trustees, which I did. And then that was met with immediate denial. And then obviously they they got lawyers and I didn't even have a lawyer for another 12 months <laughs> and because um, I had no intentions of filing a case, but uh, they didn't handle this. But this really rests on the on the trustees of the North American Mission Board doing their fiduciary duties. And we've seen this must happen. We've seen it and you and I've seen it and others of your listeners have seen this all over the country when when people are responsible don't do their jobs for whatever reason that they causes problems. Well, what's the I mean, we're sympathetic to your dilemma because that's life-altering of course and um devastating in some ways when you've spent years investing in something all all, just to have the rug pulled out from under you from someone who wasn't even your boss didn't even shouldn't it wasn't his business to be involved with that uh what about implications though for others because you're not certainly the only one that this has happened to or the only one in a situation maybe even currently an sbc entity that would be similar and uh what could potentially happen to help others who um, might be going through something similar? Well, obviously I, I get a, uh, notes from different people through this whole process, this long process and talk about some of the damages that, that's happened to them. And, you know, you just got to treat people rightly and you can't do God's mission. And that's what they say they're doing at the North American mission board. And uh, you can't do it and damage people and uh, that be blessed. Of course, we know that you know, we've got record lows in church plants. We've got historic lows in baptisms. I mean, they're just, it's falling apart in every type of way. So you got the strategic admission side. And of course, the interesting thing, John, is that's my 30 plus years of ministry uh, connected to Baptist life. That's what I've been involved in, in evangelism, right. church planting, my dissertation, my teaching, my book writing. Um, and so I, I care about the mission side too. Uh, very deeply, and uh, and then I care about the, the people, the various people that have been damaged, and both those are other Baptist bodies, and uh, those are probably some people inside the North American Mission Board th- themselves. Yeah, so, I'm I'm talking about the lawsuit itself, though. Uh, I mean, does this set a precedent? Does this put the fear of God in SBC entities? They're like, don't do this again. Don't do what you did to Will. I mean, what what's the the goal that you're hoping for? Not the personal goal, but the other 
if there is another goal, I'm sure there is to help others who might right. be going through something similar. Well, part 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 of punitive damages, I don't. I've got to win the case, and the judge will make decisions about uh, punitive damages. But what they really try to do with that's my understanding is that they're trying to. Um, when you get a conviction in something like this, that actually the judges will tend to want to send a signal to others. Don't do this kind of behavior. It's mm-hmm. typically very hard to prove what we're trying to prove. And um, I believe that, that maybe it would give an opportunity for the North American mission board and other entities to take a serious look at how they're, how they're uh, overseeing their, their leaders that they hire the trustees and uh, give a, give a greater account. And so I, I would hope that uh, this would be, um, put a chill on this type of behavior, both at North American Mission Board and any, any organization um, yeah. uh, that's out there, whether it's a mission organization or a church or whatever it might be. Um, well, what but, kinds of things could be found um, or have been found in the discovery process that would further expose the North American Mission Board or the SBC more broadly to um, a wider audience? Because there's so many people who still trust these institutions so so how, how can this because i that's what i started the program off with is i think this is probably your best shot at exposing the corruption so in what specific ways would that happen well that's a, that's a good question um i actually i don't want to i'm gonna come circle back to your question don't let me forget it but in september of 2021 i put together an article that maybe is the most complete summary of modern day corruption and lawlessness in the SBC that's been done. Um, it's it, And I had to speak very uh, carefully because um, uh, I need to speak the truth. One, I'm going to give account to Jesus, right? And uh, I made some pretty bold claims in there and it gets quite a number of people. And there's just, there's just a lawlessness. I mean, you watch the federal government and it's not operating much different than, uh, than the, than the church and some of these entities. And so the, one of the additional dangers back to your, your specific question, John, is that uh, the North American mission board through itself and through ERLC, Russell Moore, those kind of guys have claimed that they have rights and privileges over other Baptist bodies and other Baptist ministers. They say they didn't complain, uh, uh, defame me, but they said they had the right to do it. Well, do they have the right to do it over a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Catholic? Do they have to do it over your pastor? Right. I mean, right. Where, where do the rights end? And so they've made these, these aren't my, uh, making this up, my opinion. An employee there. of theirs, supposedly, but you weren't. Yeah. So, well, they said they, they said that they have rights, they have privileges. And, and, and with that, that comes with legal liability. And of course, the most prominent thing out there that's going on today is, is some of the conversations around the sexual abuse. Well, historically, Baptist and Southern Baptist, the Southern Baptist Convention has been able to get a summary judgment every time in these in these types of cases when they've been put into a case because they said no these are these churches and these associations or state conventions these are fully autonomous and now you have a Southern Baptist entity saying we have rights that they I don't believe they have they don't have mm-hmm. and they also are, are claiming privileges and um, and what that does if you have that and if you have the ERLC claiming this is a hierarchy then you have ascending and descending liability. This has enormous ramifications. Mm-hmm. I'll just tell you what some, some people that are in law, not my attorney, just friends of mine that are in law, said, said, the Baptists know what's at stake here? That's one particular attorney. Another attorney said, 
if if you lose on the law side of this, not on the facts, they said this will bankrupt the Southern Baptist Convention over these sex abuse cases because either you have you have uh, rights and responsibilities, then you have liabilities. And so we certainly are against every form of abuse and every victim of whether it's abuse of power, whether it's abuse of sexually or any other type of way. But this has enormous ramifications, as some would say, they just keep playing with fire on this, as opposed to confronting these false claims of NAM in the courts. I mean, your listeners may or may not know because they may have familiarity, but I won twice in the United States Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals on this. And I won again, or they got all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and the justices actually had to give, in essence, a vote or I don't know if it's if it's a formal type of vote, but give their their where they wanted to hear the case, and they each had to speak to it. So it's mm-hmm. made it all the way there with with claims. Nam claiming Nam claimed to the United States Supreme Court that I worked for a Southern Baptist entity, which is utterly false. And so the ramifications um, of this is is just enormous. Right. Uh, we certainly you know um, um, believe that there there's there's a lot here at stake. Well, if you win if you win the case at the Supreme Court, that gets a lot of eyeballs on it, and that's where I think the exposure is going to uh, happen. Because you can write you know something that has all the information, but if people don't read it, it doesn't make a huge dent. But if you win uh-huh. a case, then that's people are going to be uh, in very. You'll have national media, I'm sure. You know, um, hopefully you're ready for that, but they're going to be wanting to interview you or interview your lawyers, and uh, so. So this is a big deal, and um, I, I know it takes a chump of change to uh, be able to continue uh, this effort to expose. So uh, where can people go to support your work? Well, they can go. I have a GoFundMe page set up. They can just look at Will McRaney and, and under GoFundMe and the North American Mission Board. I think um, you can find it that way, or they can reach out to me and send me a message, or they can even, they can even help. It's a ministry that we're trying to do. I mean, obviously, when I was trying to restart my uh, potential to, to provide for my family and take care of these weddings and stuff with daughters and Kevin's going after me. Um, and that's, that's, that just is damaging. And so not only do I lose, not have income for four years. Um, but obviously, as you said, the case costs quite a bit. I'm, I'm paying out of pocket. North American mission board is sitting on $200 million in stock. They have a $500 million in assets. He said last week on a podcast, Kevin Ezell did, that we've got 200 homes that will be for a rainy day kind of fun. I mean, they have stored and stored and stored money. They have unlimited PR, unlimited resources. Kevin's been, he had lost a, a single check. And so I'd, I would certainly appreciate, I've incurred all my, I probably paid 85% of my legal bills and I'm well over a hundred thousand dollars in that uh, now. Wow. And uh, looking at another, probably a, a hundred if, if this case goes all the way through this rest of this year. So I'd love for your listeners to, to be engaged and partner with me. And if they can, well, help what's the website? Uh, well, they can, they can go to, they can do several things. They can go to willmcraney.com and, and find out there that there's a donate button on that, or they can either go to the GoFundMe. Um, but I, I, I lead an institution. I actually started a seminary, John, called the Bullock Institute. And we have a partnership that gives a fully accredited master's degree. We're trying to revolutionize. I won't chase too far here. Trying to revolutionize how we actually prepare ministers because we've got to stop just educating them. We have to deal with character issues. We have to deal with skill issues. And those can't be done in a classroom. It's simply impossible. We, The task, as you, you and your listeners really know, um, moving much more left, much more woke. Um, and uh, And so we're trying to have a, a better approach to training people 
and um we believe it, it we believe this is the, this is this is this will revolutionize actually how we train guys because what we're doing is not not working okay it's, it can't work yeah. actually <laughs> yeah well if you so if you want to support will and what he's doing you can uh donate at willmccraney.com you can check out the bullock institute if you're interested in uh seminary and that would help him i'm sure um and uh, well, i'm glad you're doing that there's so many um there's such a need for it. And there are uh, startups I'm noticing uh, all across the country where people are trying to figure out an alternative because the, I don't know when it's going to be. I've thought for years that the seminary model and just the higher education model in general is going to have to come crashing down. And I'm just kind of surprised. I don't know what's keeping it together. Is it duct tape? I don't know, because it's like <laughs> with the cost <laughs> of education uh, and what you're getting for it, uh, it certainly isn't worth it most of the time. But uh, all right. Well, I appreciate you, uh, you know, explaining that. Any anything else that I missed that you want to convey to listeners? No, I just I'm just uh, grateful for you and your ministry and people that listen and and uh, we're we're out there trying to engage in in speaking the truth and doing what's right and um, represent Christ well. And uh, I just appreciate your your support and your your uh, your listeners and what they're trying to do in their churches as well and anything that someone can do we certainly appreciate the prayers of the people that sustained us and and um, this next several months is going to be the telling factor and there's a lot at stake um yeah or for baptist just generally anybody that's that's in the Baptist body and other churches in one sense because there's just limitations on what guys can can do that have power and influence and uh, we're trying to confront that yeah, and I'll say closing of that because uh, you just sparked my mind when you said, you know, we're trying to represent Christ. And that's one of the things that's uh, just heartbreaking about everything related to um, the slide of evangelicals into corruption and uh, sin and just everything that's happened over, especially the last few years. And uh, and so this is no, um, uh, no different. This is just, I guess, embarrassing is one word that comes to mind, mm. but um, how do you represent Christ. When you're the, the head of the largest uh, missions or, or church planning association in the whole United States, and this is the way you treat people, other Christians, you know, it, it is so, uh, I just, I'd be afraid on judgment day, I guess. That's, that's mm. how I feel about it. But uh, well, I, I appreciate it, uh, Will, and we'll be praying for you. And uh, like I said, uh, everyone go check out willmccraney.com, check out the Bullock Institute and uh, God bless. Yeah, John, let me let me mention just one more quick thing here. Please you just talk about um, talk about truth. You know, uh, Kevin Ezel, I, I started reporting on this and, and brought it to attention maybe several years ago, even. And this could be part of the part of the um, wrath that's coming down on me. But Kevin Ezel took clergy penitent privilege in at Highview when he was pastoring in Louisville. And actually, you have five SBC entity heads that were in Highview in the church at the time. And um, it was a case involving uh, a guy there, the principal of their school, um, that had ultimately was commit was convicted of uh, molesting seven boys and or ten different felonies. And so, so why do I even bring that up? Is because because I've been talking about that. But but what's chilling is Joni Hannigan herself, a sexual abuse uh, survivor. Some of your listeners may may know Joni. She. Um, has been a journalist for close to 40 years, just highly respected. And so the North American Mission Board um, PR person, Mike Ebert, sent her a threatening text messages for writing five sentences in a 3,000 word article that just recounted the facts, just basic facts of what Kevin did and what happened at Highview. And she was threatened with libel. And so 
when you have national entities and their leaders and their PR people threatening journalists who are also victims themselves for trying to raise the question, should pastors take clergy penitent privilege? We have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of problems. <laughs> we have a lot of problems. Well, I, I uh, appreciate the work you're doing. It's a big sacrifice. And I think most people aren't um, willing to go through it. They rather just say, well, you know, I invested time in this particular organization, but now let me take my whatever I have left, I'll take and I'll go invest somewhere else because I don't want the I... grief. There's a lot of grief and stress and everything else that comes with fighting. But, uh, you know, you're a fighter and we need more fighters. So uh, God bless you and your work. And, uh, this update. Thank you, John. Uh, Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.